Thanks to all who continue to listen. Now, Season 3, Episode 8, Dr. Susan Hounds. So, very few surgeons or resident surgeons, nonetheless, can remember the first question that their chairman ever asked them. And I still remember to this day the first question Dr. Young asked. And my co-resident, Allison, who uh, ended up um, leaving neurosurgery in our third year and going into anesthesiologist, or going into the anesthesia program, we were invited for the barbecue dinner um, that was hosted for all the going away residents. And I remember it was actually at Dr. Mathern's home and it seemed like a family affair. It really had the attendings, the residents, their families. It was a backyard get together. And I actually remember um, one of the uh, attendings (laughs) sons getting in trouble for like throwing a baseball on the roof of Dr. Mathern's home. So it was, it was quite eventful. And I don't remember what I wore, but I remember that my co-resident had this hot pink, like shirt on with like white, a white skirt. And I just remember thinking, I'm so out of place. I think I was just in like shorts and a nice shirt, comfortable, but I, I felt underdressed. But um, in hindsight, she was probably a little bit overdressed. But that being said, Dr. Young came up to me and he said, Hey, Leslie, we're glad to have you here in Richmond. Where do you live exactly? And he said it like that or in so many words. But the first question to me was like, where exactly do you live? And actually I had rented a house for the first year and we ended up buying because um, my ex-husband was a Marine. And so we were able to get a VA loan and uh, purchase a home. Uh, And I wanted a home after we lived in an apartment for four years because I wanted to have a garden or a vegetable garden. And so That's what I did. I used to garden by flashlight. But I said, we ended up, there were only so many homes in the area in good neighborhoods. So we ended up living in the suburbs of Richmond and Chesterfield. And I said, oh, we live in Chesterfield. And you had to be able to get to the hospital within 30 minutes. And I was probably right at 20 to 25 minutes with where I had ended up uh, living. And he was like, okay, that's a good neighborhood. And always, and that was the only question he asked me and just went about small talk. And I thought that's weird for the only question a chairman to ask you is where you lived. And it wasn't until later in my intern year, why I understood or why I realized he asked me that question. And it was also later my intern year when I realized Maybe this is why I feel I don't have to prove myself as a female, as a neurosurgeon. I'm just accepted. So 
It was actually during my VA rotation. There was a third year general surgery resident. And he said, you know, don't you know that there was a former neurosurgery female resident that was murdered? And I was like, at first I thought he was joking. I had never heard this before. And this was like probably about four to five months into my intern year at Richmond. And he's like, no, like, look it up. And so I remember this was 2008. So we had internet. It wasn't as, we weren't as connected, nearly as connected because that was before the iPhone came out. And that allowed people to have the internet at their fingertips. But I remember later, sometime later that week, it wasn't that night. But I looked it up and I realized he was at, he, it was totally true. And so I remember asking one of my uh, co-residents, or not in neurosurgery, but um, in, uh, he was a general surgery categorical. And I said, have you heard about that? And she said, yeah, I, I had heard about it because she had gone to medical school at VCU. And so... To summarize, um, later on, I think when I was a second or third year, it was at least once a year, Dr. Young would bring up uh, Dr. Susan Helms. And she was one of, if not the first female resident he had, he had accepted into his program. And she passed away, and this was in 1987. So Dr. Young was always a man above and um, before his time. He accepted women when a lot of uh, neurosurgery programs did not accept women. And I believe, oddly enough, uh, Dr. Susan Helms had been married and actually her first husband had became later the chairman of the anesthesia program. He came back and became chairman while I was there. And I don't know if he's still chairman, but I believe that was her first husband. And I don't know if she left when she got divorced or spent a year in research and came back, but there was a time period that she ended up meeting her second husband who I believe from, and I might be wrong, um, was an attorney and worked, or, or a law student, and commuted back and forth to Washington, D.C. And I remember Dr. Young said, and I don't know if it was that day that she was murdered or a few days before, but I had done a what we call an anterior cervical disectomy infusion and he told me, you know, Susan, before she was murdered she, murdered, she came up to me and she said, Dr. Young, and I think she was murdered the year before her chief year. Dr. Young, I'm finally getting it. I'm finally getting this operation. I understand. I can do it. Thank you so much. And he told me that. And what was odd is he would tell me about once a year conversations that they had. And what's odd too is when Dr. Young was in Vietnam, the only, the, there was, 
there were women that died in Vietnam, but the but the one woman who died with active fire was was his one of his, was one of his nurses at the hospital when um, the hospital came under fire. And so I remember Dr. Young would sometimes talk about both of them, and but he would always talk to me more talk to me more about Susan. I I think because he felt I could relate being another female neurosurgery resident. And every time he would bring her up and talk to me, I remember thanking her and thanking God for giving me the experience that I had with training because I've always felt in med school like I had a chip on my shoulder and I had to prove myself being a female. And I don't know if it was always the situation in Richmond, Virginia. And I know I even spoke about walking by and seeing the White House of the Confederacy every day I trained. But I never felt that I had to prove I was a f- that I was worthy as a female to be a surgeon and to be there. It was like I was automatically accepted. But I had to prove myself as a surgeon and as a neurosurgery resident. But I, it was never that I, you know, it was, it was always expected that I could and not, and I just had never, ever experienced that before. And I felt that um, Susan was murdered and she was murdered in 87. So she was murdered 21 years before I got there. And it was when Dr. Young was a younger chairman. And I was the last surgeon that graduated before he stepped down. So I was at the tail end of his chairmanship. But I felt that maybe because of what happened to Susan and the type of person people always told me Susan was. She was always a really kind, smart, caring surgeon. That she laid lay that foundation. And a lot of the surgeons that Dr. Young kept, my program was sort of inbred, and or he recruited, were surgeons of that caliber. And so they were either residents when she was going through when the tragedy happened or they had heard stories about her. And I really felt that that opened up where my attending surgeons, Dr. Holloway and Dr. Ritter, who came in after her, graduated. And Tiffany Powell was uh, the third female resident that came through after her murder. And then I was the fourth. And then Lisa Feldman was the fifth. And so I really felt that, not that her her murder, but who she was even before her murder allowed me to be the surgeon I became. And Dr. Young cared about me as a person, as a surgeon, and me being a female was actually a plus. And so what's unusual about Susan is that 
her murderer, and I don't want to give them too much credit, um, because I feel like we always give the perpetrator a, uh, we always give them a lot of our attention rather than the victims. But he was actually, um, Patricia Cornwell actually, I think, wrote her first novel about what happened. And the resident was actually, I think, I had never read the book. Um, just because I always felt I was too close to the situation. I knew the people that cared about her. And I just, I couldn't really read that um, for entertainment. But uh, it was a plastic surgeon is how I think she spun it in her book. But I remember one time Dr. Young and I were walking between the critical care hospital and the regular hospital. And we were looking out and he said, you know, Leslie, I told Susan to not keep her window open for her cats, but she would always do that. And I told her, that's not a good neighborhood. You don't want to leave the window open for your cats. And that's, that's my chairman. Like Dr. Young knew about us as people. He cared about us. He cared about Susan enough to know that she had cats. Um, and maybe it's like a father's instinct, him, you know, being the chairman, knowing what eventually happened. But uh, her murderer was, I believe, named Timothy Spencer. And he raped and murdered four other women. And he was actually the first person convicted of DNA evidence. And he was sentenced to death, and he later was electric. He was electrocuted um, for um, what he did to her and four other women. But he actually crawled through her bedroom window on the second floor that she had left open for her cats. And I found that out um, from Doctor Young later in conversation, or when he when he stated that about um, her leaving her window up for her cats. And I don't remember what made him bring up the conversation. I think he would just have triggers and remember her. And there was things that I did as a resident that he stated that he remembered would, would remind him of her, some of my traits. And... And so when he got inside, he raped and murdered her, and it was through um, the rape they were able to get the DNA evidence that later convicted him of his crime. And I remember talking to other people at VCU later during the years that stated that initially they thought maybe uh, the murderer might have been someone at the hospital until other victims um, until there were other victims because of some of the connections between the first victims and Susan. And that really made a lot of people scared at the hospital. That being said, I just, 
I know um, there are some podcasts out there, and I even listened to one podcast. I want to say it was a few years ago that they actually interviewed Dr. Young and some other people at VCU regarding her murder. But I always think that my residency was probably one of the best residencies a female minority neurosurgeon can have. And it, and I, and I would thank her for paving, paving that pathway that even though she was murdered, Dr. Young still looked for women with the qualities that she had that he could accept and he could train as surgeons. And like I said, he had accepted her in the 80s. And I remember at UVA, they had accepted their first female in 2007. So they had accepted their first female 20 years after her death. So I commend Dr. Young for always being forward thinking. And he wasn't just forward thinking and diversity within his residency program. He was very forward thinking and at VCU and in a neurosurgery and a lot of the new, he empowered um, his faculty that he had hired to do some of the the newest uh, things in neurosurgery. And even though VCU wasn't like a big name like Harvard or Duke or Hopkins, we were doing just as much or even more. And so he was really forward thinking as a surgeon by empowering other surgeons. But I know this ramble, this is rambling. I do still remember the first question he ever asked me about where I lived. And it wasn't until I found out about Susan and a person he had lost did it make sense to me. And it's just sad. I know a lot of people with the recent Idaho murders. It's sad that someone who had dedicated their life to be to be a surgeon, to save and help people, had it cut short in such a, tra- a tragedy. But I do think Susan and Dr. Young had a plaque for both the nurse he lost in Vietnam as well as Dr. Susan Helms that was in our neurosurgery conference room as a memory to them. And I thank both of them for molding my chairman to be the man he was to me. And I've actually tried to reach out to him, but I think he changed his number. And I reached out to one of the attendings that still is there. And they didn't have a new number for him. But I wanted to tell him how much I appreciated him. And as I know, he's getting up in years. 
it sort of made me, you know, a pit at my stomach when I was no, I was no longer able to give him a call. And I still remember there was one time, and I might have mentioned this, my faculty year, I gave him a call to run a shunt patient biome, and he had just gotten out of surgery, and I didn't even know, no one knew except of our vice chairman that he had had surgery. And he's like, no, 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 I'm here for you, Leslie. This is what I would do. That's the type of man Dr. Young was. And he's the type of man that I try to mold my practice after. And from what I heard of Susan, she was the type of woman that you wanted to be or have them as your neurosurgeon. And I thank God that Dr. Young thought highly enough of me to give me the chance like he gave Susan 21 years earlier, or actually probably 25 years earlier when she started the training program in his department. Thanks again for all who continue to listen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed.